It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford with Lynx. Joined once again by my co-host Joe Passoff. And we are excited to to welcome a very special guest on the podcast today. Uh, he is Bo Welling, golf course architect of Bo Welling Design. Uh, Bo, thank you for joining us. I'm going to let you first start out with those who may be unfamiliar with yourself, uh, just to give a little bit of a background, your elevator speech, if you will, uh, on who is Bo Welling and and what do you do? Thanks, Al, and uh, great to be here and good so Joe as well. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, I am Bo Welling and I have a, uh, founded a very uh, intelligently, creatively named company called Bo Welling Design. And we're based out of Greenville, South Carolina, which is where I'm talking to you from right now, which is somewhat uh, a rarity these days as much as we're on the road. Um, but this is where I'm from. I grew up here. I, I started playing golf at the age of two just turned 52 and uh, 50 years in, it doesn't look like we're going to get any better. Um, but a very passionate love of the game has been a big part of my life for a long time. I went and played collegiate golf at Brown University, Brown Bear NCAA powerhouse golf team. And uh, there I got uh, intrigued by golf course design and started studying landscape architecture at the Rhode Island School of Design. Interned with Tom Fazio, uh, who happened to be building a golf course here in town, um, and then ultimately went to go work for him for, for just over a decade before leaving in 2007 to start my own own company. Um, so very much passionate about the game. I love the game. Big believer if there are more golfers in the world, the world would be a better place. And we're trying to do our small uh, small little contribution to help make that happen. So about 25 years in the industry. Is that, is that about right? Sounds about right. It sounds like some pretty good math there. Now. <laughs> Thanks. I would be lying if I didn't say I was fed that information okay, very beforehand, good. but, um, great guess by me. Um, I mean, just start in, in Greenville. Um, what courses did you pick up the game on? Um, and what kind of gave you the bug to make golf course architecture a career? So I grew up, I was fortunate to grow up at the Greenville Country Club, um, and we had a great situation in that we had an old, sort of more historic, but very playable golf course, sort of at the main campus. We also had a par three course there, and then we had a, an additional 18-hole golf course that, was, that is about five, ten minutes away. There was a longtime top 100 golf course um, called Chanticleer. And so it was a really wonderful place to learn the game of golf because the par three course was sort of the domain of us as juniors. We had a PGA professional led strong junior program and you kind of graduated to the, 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 the old golf course and got to learn the game a little bit even more than ultimately could graduate to the, the top hundred golf course. And, and so I, that made a big impression on me and still makes a big impression on me to this day, because I think this facility that we had helped, it was almost like a ladder system and helped people to evolve into the game. And, and to me, it's like no accident that uh, Greenville country club produced a lot of really good golfers, produced a lot of people that are in the golf business, et cetera. And so 
I'm sure we'll talk a little bit later, maybe about our involvement at the PGA Frisco. Um, but um, PGA Frisco, the concept of that very much reminded me of growing up at Greenville Country Club, of this idea of learning the game to playing for the best championships all in the same facility. So that was has been an important um, sort of impression of, upon me in the course of my career. In terms of your specifically your question about golf course design, I didn't really know that was a thing uh, growing up. I, I scribbled golf holes, doodled golf holes as a kid, but that was just uh, out of boredom or, you know, as a, you know, as a, something to do. Um, but we were fortunate that we had family friends that were Augusta national members and another set of family friends that were Cypress point members. And so every, every once in a while I'd get to go play these sort of cathedrals of golf. And I can remember just being totally awestruck of like, how can something be so amazing and so good. And, and, and it sounds like I was a silver spoon kid. I, I really wasn't. It was just sort of a circumstance of life, but, um, but both of these wonderful cathedrals had been designed by Alistair McKenzie. And so that was the first time I really understood that golf design was a thing. And I went and consumed everything I could find in the literature that Dr. McKenzie had written. Um, and so that became something that was, was very interested. I was very interested in, and to this day, I'd say that Dr. McKenzie is sort of my guiding light and sort of all things golf course design, but I really didn't have a sense of that's what I wanted to do as a profession until I had this moment at Brown university where I was debating, am I going to study science or physics, or am I going to study art? Like that's how coherent I was. And Brown's sort of a wacky, weird place where the, the, the student, student is very much empowered to, to find their own path of study. And so anyway, I woke up this epiphany. I'm like, wait a minute, golf course design, that's scientific and technical, but artistic and creative. And, and I was playing collegiate golf and RISD was right across the street and Tom Fazio who was working in my hometown. So it's almost like all the forces in the universe kind of came together to sort of point me in this, in this direction. And I'm very thankful that they did. Well, you hit on a lot of stuff that I know we want to talk about. PJ Frisco obviously is a big announcement, everything you spoke of to, to your studies and, and where you ultimately ended up going with your career. I think also speaks to the ethos of your design firm where you talk about that holistic approach to golf course design and I know Joe probably has some follow-up questions on that as well. But um, before I let Joe get a question to you, I just want to ask, because everyone who goes to Augusta for the first time as a patron of the Masters, or um, if you're fortunate enough to see Cypress Point, can you describe what you, you felt, what you saw, and um, how it changed your understanding of the game seeing Augusta for the first time? I mean, I was relatively young and, and I, I just remember being like literally awestruck um, and it, it just absolutely amazed really at both places and sort of for different reasons. I mean, Augusta National, I would have seen as, you know, on television, obviously, and and as a patron, you know, once or twice as a young person, but to go sort of walk on these hallowed grounds and um, how wonderful and special it is, I just, I just really remember feeling like I was just so fortunate and just totally awestruck. And then Cypress Point, um, being a Southern person, again, as a younger person, like I didn't really understand at the time what that was, um, but then to go play and, and you know, the, the, the drama of the site and the beauty of, of, of the nature and the golf design. And it, I, it's sort of the same thing. It's just like, holy smokes. Like, it was like, it was hard for me to even fathom that golf could be that good. 
not that it, golf was not great at, at Greenville Country Club, it, it was, and the other places I played around South Carolina as a junior golfer, but these places were just really inspire, awe-inspiring sort of places, What I was what I remember. But as I said, I'm 52 years old, so getting older and older, so I'm not, you know, getting a little fuzzier and fuzzier trying to recall exact emotions. Bo, it's always, uh, it's always a pleasure, and I love this miasma, the stuff that's swirling, and when you were younger and it's swirling, the Chanticleer was an early, uh, I mean, for you, but uh, kind of a mid to later career Robert Trent Jones senior design that was in the top 100. Then you work, went to work for Tom Fazio, uh, who did incredibly well uh, in every respect, artistically, financially, um, was the go-to guy for every big, you know, big name developer, so to speak. And yet you were influenced by McKenzie as well. So how do you reconcile all of this swirling? You admired Chanticleer, the Trent Jones. What did you take from Jones? What did you take from Tom Fazio and your education with McKenzie involved into how it finally became your overriding design philosophy? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And it's probably like bits and pieces from all of that, as well as others, and, and well as just sort of things in life. I mean, I, one of my biggest influences is actually my grandfather. So my grandfather was an accountant. Um, and so he would he would always tell me and my sister sitting around the, the dinner table um, that, you know, the food before us was the result of the family's hard work for the client. And, and that's very much in my DNA. I think I very much have a client orientation to what we do. Like I'm trying to help our clients achieve their goals and objectives. And, um, and I thought that probably has some Fazio influence in that way, because he was that way too. Um, and I know this isn't the question that you're asking me, but I think it's just bigger than just greens, teas and bunkers. And I think that's one of the things that I've evolved in, in this profession is that I got involved because of greens, teas and bunkers. Um, I, in sort of the test of the game, I think that I look at it in a much bigger picture now of, of you know, golf is something that helps promote community and the sort of human nature of, of things. And, and that's kind of why I said this sort of lofty statement of, you know, I think golf would be a better place. I mean, the world would be a better place if there are more golfers. I think specifically about the golf design stuff that, that you're trying to ask me, I, you know, I think certainly, you know, if I were to pick buzzwords, I'd say Fazio playability. I would say McKinsey strategy. I would say like strategy and sort of illusion as well. And then Jones may, you know, maybe challenge and, and, and difficulty and, and those kinds of things. And I think they're all important. And then there are other design influences, I think, that we've had as well. But I very much think that what we're trying to do is our own thing. And, um, and, and it probably has, you know, drawn off of many different, maybe even sometimes seemingly competing sort of ideas or, or conflicting sort of ideas um, but I think at the, at the heart of what we're trying to do is we're really trying to serve our clients and we think we can best serve our clients when we can create an experience that people of all different walks of life, all different skill levels can come and be together and enjoy the human side of golf, um, you know, at, at the same facility. Uh, that's pretty solid as far as I'm concerned. Um, I pass. I get Joe's approval. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Bo, you didn't you didn't have the acclaim, so to speak, during your Fazio years as some of his top lieutenants on the design side. What did you do, 
you know, in the Fazio organization. Um, and, and how did that then prepare you for going off on your own? So I was kind of a generalist in a lot of ways in, in that organization or for Tom. I, you know, I was the guy that was pretty much involved in every project that we did, as opposed to other folks that sort of focused on one or two projects at a time. Um, you know, a lot of people remember me as, as sort of the business guy, but it was very much the business of um, selecting projects and, 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 and the way we did that is we basically started, went through a very extensive concept design phase. So I, I very much sort of led that effort. Um, and that's probably where, you know, when I say this client orientation that I already had and that Tom had it as well, I think, you know, that was a big part of what he was trying to do is make sure that he was in position to serve his clients. Um, so I did lots of different things, kind of utility and filter in some ways. Um, but I, by, as a, a person, my personality is I'm, I'm, I love learning. And so I think I'm, I'm a sponge. So I'm constantly sort of soaking up things. And so in many ways, it was the perfect position um, for me to, to learn a whole lot in, you know, in a decades amount of time to be able to inform, um, you know, sort of some of my own opinions and my own experiences to kind of go forth and do what we've been now doing for the last 15 years. I think a lot of uh, people may recognize your name in association now with Tiger Woods and TGR design. Um, how did that relationship form and what was your first project with him and, and how's that kind of developed over time? So I kind of first met Tiger Woods through the, his efforts at the Tiger Woods Foundation. And, um, and when the Tiger Woods Learning Center was uh, being built, we were we offered to help this back in my Fazio days to offer to help with the golf side of things uh, there, the, which led to basically a putting range and a putting course being done. And so I got to know him some through that. And, and so then when he started contemplating getting involved in golf course design, he, he uh, reached out and asked me, you know, a whole series of questions about what my thoughts were about how he should go forward. And that ultimately led to me assisting him and, um, and it sort of coincided with the time that I was starting my own company. Um, so anyway, to answer your question, the first project I helped him with was his, uh, his project in Dubai. Um, and I think we've developed a really good relationship. I think we've heard Seagolf through similar lenses. Um, and, uh, and I'm very proud to be able to continue to have my consulting relationship with him. In many ways, he's a client again. And so I'm just trying to help him do what he's trying to do. And I'm very proud of the things that he's, he's done so far in terms of, of golf and golf design and, um, and look forward to continue to help him going forward. How does he approach looking at designing a golf course? And I know his project at Blue Jack National, I've, I've read that, you know, it's the kind of place that it's a member's course and he wants a person to start and finish without ever losing a golf ball. Um, I played Payne's Valley at Big Cedar Lodge, which I believe you helped with as well, which is a pretty friendly golf course too. What, do, what does Tiger see? What does he want typically when looking to construct a golf course for the everyday golfer? Yeah, I mean, I think you'd have to ask him to truly get to the root of that, but I, you know, I don't speak for him. But I think sure. you know some of the original he would have asked me way back when were like, I, I think I know how to make a golf course difficult. How how do I make it be something that higher handicappers can really enjoy? And I, I think the comments that you're making about Blue Jack and Payne's Valley, you know, sort of you know, to speak to speak to that. Um, you know, he talks a lot about 
um, you know, not really wanting to have cross hazards and, um, you know, really wants people to feel like they can use the words he uses, use the ground as your friend. You hear him say that a lot. And so that, that has informed the decisions he's made about, you know, how bunkers and hazards are placed in relation to, you know, greens, as well as sort of how turf is maintained around greens. So pretty much everything he's done to date has a lot of the ability to play the ball on the ground and, and get to, get to a pins or to the green itself. Um, and so he's a bit like a, he's very, very analytical person. And uh, I think one of the reasons he really loves Lynx golf is that there are just so many options to be analyzed. And I think he finds that interesting. So I think what he's trying to do in many ways is, you know, to get people to use their brain out on the golf course. Cause I think when you use your brain, golf becomes a lot more interesting than just I'm 150 yards. Therefore I hit a nine iron as hard as I can or whatever it is. So that's kind of that's kind of the, sort of the theme, at least I see in terms of what he's done today. Bo, uh, sometimes I I look at your role like, um, well, the great singer Michael McDonald, who uh, has a solo career, um, but also kind of teamed up with Steely Dan, teamed up with the Doobie Brothers. Um, like he's just so good, he's always in demand. Christopher Cross. How do you reconcile? I'm Bo Welling. I have my own firm, but um, yeah, I'm I'm also Tiger Woods' uh, lead consulting designer, and and is it are you able to mix and match uh, comfortably and successfully? Again, I think I, I view TGR or not view. They are a client of ours, and so we're trying to help TGR accomplish what it's trying to do. I, I think. Fortunately, or maybe this is uh, the reason we even have the relationship is I think we very much view golf again through in a similar way. So a lot of what he's trying to do with his golf design is, is very consistent with what we're trying to do. Um, you know, I think he he's still playing golf, you know, in, in his capacity to go pursue golf course design is, is uh, you know, what he wants it, whatever he wants it to be. Whereas ours is, is larger. So it's very fortunate we have our own practice and, and go do, you know, many other things, um, probably way more other things. And it's just that he's who he is. It gets noted of our relationship there. Um, but we very much are practicing sort of our, our own craft, our own thoughts. And luckily, they it aligns with what TGR is trying to do in, in many cases. Okay, Al, I know we're going to jump into some specifics on some of the work that Bo uh, and his team have accomplished. Uh, you put together a very nice list <laughs> that I have in front of me. Um, and we'll cover those specifics. But I did have a general question, uh, Bo, that probably will uh, over arc over a lot of this. Um, you know, the I believe the only golf hole I've actually ever played with you was at Blue Jack National uh, on, the, on the 12th hole, the Augusta looking thing. But one of the things that the folks at Blue Jack are absolutely enamored with what you accomplished was your land plan, was the overall land plan for the development. And I don't think all the architecture fans out there appreciate that this is uh, something that has to work side by side with golf course architecture, but in many ways can be its own entity. Um, how do you work both of those, both individually and collectively when proposing and then executing 
um, on a on a plan. So I think it kind of goes back to some themes that tried to mention earlier. So, you know, I got involved. It was true golf architecture that really, you know, sort of fascinated me. But sort of through time, I really got interested in, in how golf helped promote community and people coming together. And so what happens around golf becomes a big part of that, a big component of that. And so, you know, we've got a lot of great relationships, you know, over the years, we've had a lot of great relationships with land planners and whatnot. But we started to start to think about, well, maybe we wanted to do some of this our own, um, you know, to make sure that we sort of maximized the golf experience, but but still had it be, you know, very successful on on what happens outside of golf, and, and that's led to some instances like Blue Jack, where you know we we did the entirety of the master planning, the amenity planning, and and um, and we felt pretty passionate about that in, at, at Blue Jack of trying to create that environment um, such that it just becomes a place that you want to hang out. And, you know, both before playing 18 holes of golf or playing the 10 hole short course, the playgrounds, um, or just going and participating in some of the other amenities, like once you're on property. And, um, and I think to me, that's what this whole thing's all about is, is, is really humans putting phones down and, and, and being together and having relationships. And, you know, part of the, how that became such a big deal to me is that, um, you know, I started realizing, I started observing, again, going back to that being a sponge, started observing how some projects were different than other projects. And I found that the ones that I really liked or thought were the coolest were the ones that had all the stuff that was happening outside of greens, tees, and bunkers. And, and I can remember being, seeing people meet and, and literally watching people meet on the golf course and becoming fast friends. And I thought that was really cool. And I started thinking about my own life, like half the memories I have of my father on the golf course. I started looking around and, you know, half my friends are people I grew up playing golf with. I looked at my new friends, like, geez, people I met on the golf course. And, and it just really struck me as how powerful, you know, golf can be to do that. But you got to have places and spaces um, to help further that that aren't, you know, a tee green or a bunker. Um, and so that's kind of what led us down into this, this sort of amenities and master planning, um, as well. Yeah. I think I read on your site, you are helping build spaces for humans to be around other humans. Um, that's right. And I, if you haven't seen, uh, the fort at Blue Jack national for anyone listening, it's one of the most, uh, amazing amenities areas at private golf community or really anywhere that you'll find. And Bo, I just want to see if I can get you to raise your hand and say it was your idea, but the mini Fenway park with the green monster, the wiffle bar park, is, is that you? Can we attribute that to you? No, I, I think that was the developer and, um, and we, we helped organize it all. And, and I think that's the other thing about us um, is that we're really, we're really collaborators at my heart. And so like when I talk about this client service, I, it's not just that we just do whatever our clients say, it's not it. It's, it's rather we collaborate with our clients to try to come up with the best outcome. And so there are a lot of hands uh, in the fort for sure, you know, from, you know, Mike Abbott and Andy Mitchell, to Casey Paulson, you know, to, to Dan Ford on my staff and, um, and myself and engineers and others and sales folks and whatnot. And, and so really kind of a collective, collective effort. And, um, and I'm very proud to, that we are collaborators, uh, because I, you know, I think what ends up happening is that you end up developing all these great relationships and it's, it's amazing. You know, I look at 
you know, almost all of our clients become great friends of ours. And I, and I think that's kind of how it's through the orientation of how we, we work. And, and, and it is this sort of human thing again, of, of wanting to help people accomplish goals and objectives, but, but everybody's got to have a seat at the table in order to do that. For sure. I know that you've been involved in a number of short course projects. Um, we go down the list You've got uh, Little Sandy at Omni Amelia Island that just opened pretty recently, a 10-hole short course in Florida. Um, the Saddle at Glen Cove and Cashers, uh, Two Haye in Park City. Uh, at, again, these are all short course projects. Um, I didn't put it together. I think Joe mentioned, too, that the hay you worked on, again, with, with Tiger and then going to PGA Frisco and uh, Fields Ranch. Uh, you did the swing with Gil. What do you like about this alternative style of, of building a just a short course rather than a full eighteen? I, I like almost everything about it. I mean, I, I think it's just wonderful, um, and I think there are a lot of different reasons why I say that. Um, I think one is you know if, if you look at um, recreational activities in the United States for the last 10 or 15 years, the things that have really exploded are the things that are really unstructured in time. And, and they tend to have some health component to them. So like hiking and biking and these kinds of things, like a, huge hockey graphs of like the participation in that. Golf historically has been very structured in time. Like the three of us have to show up at 1010 to go march out for four hours or whatever to play around to golf. And the, the things that are unstructured in time around golf are, are really practice. So practice range, you know, we can do 15 minutes, do it for hours, do it together, do it alone. Um, but, but there's something about that for me personally that gets not that interesting. And so I think a short course to me starts to resonate in this, this space of so you've got a lot of optionality of how long you want to go do it. And it need not be the quanta to go play a short course is pretty, pretty small. So I think that's been a, is, is one reason why I think it's a great uh, additive thing to, to the totality of golf. Um, but then if you start looking at, you know, sort of the money ball side of golf, sort of strokes gained, if you will, if you compare a tour player to the average scratch golfer, you know, that's about five and a half shots, but four and a quarter or so are from, from tee to green. And so, and as you go down the handicap scale, this only gets greater. So the, the, and I said differently, where a higher handicapper struggles with is really long shots. And so the beauty of the short course to me is it removes all of that. And so now you just have short shots and the short courses we're doing are, are, you know, particularly short, like most of the holes are in the 50 to hundred yard range. And so I think what, what becomes interesting about that is that everybody has a chance standing on a tee at a short course and they may not perform, but they got a chance. Right. And, and so I think that's very interesting at the same time, because it's not traditional golf, um, you know, the ones we're doing, at least, you know, we're sort of shaping differently and, and I would say making them, um, you're doing, you're doing precise pin locations that you wouldn't do on a bigger course that needed to be receptive to a longer shot. And so the net of all of that is that it truly becomes a place that a good player, you know, can really have fun, a casual round and have fun, but, but very much a beginner can go and not feel intimidated um, and, and have a great experience. And so going back to this theme, I keep trying to talk about of, of people coming together and having these human moments. Like to me, a short course is like absolutely perfect for a family of extreme different levels of golf to be able to go and enjoy 
at the same time, you know, it's a great place for better players to go and have a much more relaxed, fun, casual sort of round of golf. So to me, it, just, it really resonates kind of across the spectrum of golfers and even into like non-golfers. And, you know, I think a short course becomes something that a non-golfer is going to feel less intimidated to go pick up a club and try to do something. And so we have all that in mind when we've shaped the ones we've done of, of literally having it be that if you just can top the golf ball, like you, you've got an experience that you can go and do. And so I, I do think it's great. I think if, if you, if you have space and you have the capital um, it, it really is a great addition to the sort of traditional golf experience. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, there's a reason why it's become so popular um, across the country to, to add that into the fold whether or not that's a, a private community or a place like Pinehurst or, or now PGA Frisco and, and beyond. It's becoming a, uh, a way to get a lot more people into the game. Yeah. We're really excited. So PGA Frisco opens next May and just out there last week. And so the swing is 10 holes. Uh, it's lit. Uh, it's going to operate out of this uh, building that sits on the driving range. That's called the ice house. That's very much up food and beverage outlet, but with multiple hitting bays out onto the range with a lot of gamification and whatnot. So it's, it's it, the, the vibe there is going to be really, really cool. There's going to be some activation out on the swing with food and beverage and music and whatnot. And it's, uh, I think it's really going to be a really, really slick component uh, to the overall, overall plans at PJ Frisco. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The uh, PGA executive director, Seth Waugh, he calls Frisco the Silicon Valley of golf. Um, your partner out there, Gail Hands, refers to it as the American St. Andrews um, on top of the Fields Ranch East and West courses and the swing, which we just talked about. You also got the dance floor, a two-acre putting course, lighted for night play as well. Given this project uh, a few years ago, how did you approach the challenge of of building what it has now become and will be in the future of the game? So when it first got introduced to me in, in 2015, um, what the concept was, I was immediately and wanted to be involved in some way, shape, or form because I, I had a I felt like I saw the vision or the I should say the potential of what this can be and hopefully will be almost from the beginning. And it kind of goes back to this Greenville Country Club story again. So this whole idea that you'd have a facility that where beginners could learn the game, people could enjoy in both traditional setting and more casual, relaxed setting, all the way up to contending for the, you know, the, some of the greatest championships in the world, all in the same facility, like, and, and then put PGA of America's headquarters on there and have a 540 room Omni hotel. So people from around the world can come and stay there like I immediately knew that, that or felt like this was going to have an incredible potential um, to impact the game of golf. And so it's been an incredible privilege uh, to be involved. And so our involvement is we did do Fields Ranch West. Um, 
but and we worked with Gil on the swing. We did all, all the practice, 30, 40 acres of practice that exists, but we also serve as the master planners of the whole site. And, and so trying to get this human thing and these collisions of people that I keep talking about, you know, was something that we very much took on and, and it was a challenging site. Don't get me wrong. Um, but again, another testament to collaboration and teamwork You had multiple stakeholders involved from, from Omni resorts, from Omni hotels to PJ of America to the North Texas PJ section, the city of Frisco, Frisco independent school district, et cetera. And so it was a lot of work and a lot of effort, but I was just, as I said, just out there last week and I just remain so incredibly excited. And what Seth is talking about is that with HQ there, um, you know, they're going to be able to push education and technology and all kinds of things are going to happen there. Um, and we've got 28,000 members that are going to be able to come from around the country and come to there and be exposed to all this cool stuff that's happening that I really think initially everybody's going to focus on these championships on Phil's Ranch East, and they're going to be awesome and wonderful. And the world's going to know PJ Frisco because of these championships. But I think when you look back in 20, 30 years, what's going to have happened is that this facility is going to impact the game. These, these members and people that visit are going to take lesson, lessons learned back out around the country. And it's really going to be impactful to the game um, really throughout the country. And so when Gil talks about it being sort of the St. Andrews of golf, it very much has this feeling being in the middle of the country in this great environment of Frisco um, as, as very much a, a, a thing that's going to help people gather around golf and the way it's laid out, there's very much a village component to, to some of it, um, such that it's going to be the kind of place that I think, you know, people may go to and, and just sort of hang out and observe, even if they're not playing golf, much like people do when they go to St. Andrews, even like I, we'll hear of American tourists that don't play golf. So I want to go see St. Andrews and just see it. And I think this is going to have some elements of, of kind of all of that. And again, I'm just, I'm super excited and I can't wait for May for the Omni to open and, and, you know, everybody start visiting and, and consuming all things that are there. And, you know, we've got the KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship coming up at the end of May. So all of a sudden it's going to be broadcast, you know, around the world. So um, we're super excited about PGA Frisco. Us too. Very much so. Um, I'm also curious, Bo, human nature being what it is, I think about stream song when Bill and Ben were building, you know, their, uh, their red course at the same exact time that Tom Doak was building the blue course. And they had to have a collaborative effort in terms of the overall site, but isn't there, again, human nature instinct would say there's gotta be a little competition to, <laughs> to design a memorable golf course or more memorable or tougher or whatever it is. Did you feel that with Gil Hans's folks? And if not, how did it fit in the overall, you know, you say, no, it's just got to work all the way around. I really didn't feel any set of competition from either, either organization. In fact, both organizations got to be, um, we're pretty close and become really good friends I think part of the reason is that when it started, I referenced the site being complicated. And so we really had to work together to figure out the totality of the site. So a significant portion of it is in a floodplain. And so how it all worked, not just in terms of two-dimensional layout, but 
but three-dimensionally with some of the grading and some of the flood protection issues. Like we really had to work together. There was a big excavation that happened on, on the west that went to the east to lift the east out of, out of the floodplain. At the same time, as I mentioned, we, we helped plan everything. So we had to work with Gil and his team, um, even you know, trying to figure out how the tournament would work uh, you know, around the east golf course. And so the net of that is that I think we really felt like we were in this together. And, uh, and, and certainly there was an incredible amount of collaboration prior to construction. Uh, a lot of people have asked, you know, oh, did you, you know, peek over, you know, what was happening on the east? And the, the reality is I really didn't uh, because we're busy. And so you're busy there to do your own job when you're under construction. Then we had L issues where we were side by side and we had to do some coordination and whatnot there. Um, so we really didn't view it that way. There's a lot of talk amongst the stakeholders going in about what they wanted the golf courses to be and, and, and did they want it to be you know, very different? Did they want it to be more similar, like in terms of style and aesthetic. And, and we ultimately sort of landed on that we wanted to feel related, but maybe more like cousins um, than even siblings. And so I think we did that for the most part. Um, I'd be curious to see what you guys think once you go and play. Um, but at the same time, you know, ownership stakeholders very much wanted experiences that were complementary to each other as well. And I think we've really, I think we have done that. Um, the whole collaboration on the short course on the swing was really one of the coolest things uh, I've been, I've ever done, to be honest with you. And, and the collaboration wasn't just, you know, firm principles walking, you know, one time through a photo op. It really got down into the detail of how we did it. And so Jim Wagner, who works with Jim Gill's partner, you know, came up with the idea of like, well, why don't, why don't we have Bo and Shane and Scott direct, you know, our cavemen shapers and, you know, Gil and I will direct, you know, Joe Titzer and, and our shapers. And so the collaboration got all the way down into the whole detail of how the whole thing worked. And as well as, you know, numerous times that, that all of us sort of walked and were out there together. So that was really, really cool. You know, you read about these stories, you know, back in the, you know, Pine Valley and other, you know, older golden age things of the sort of people truly collaborating. And, and, and I, I don't think I've ever really been in a situation until this where that really happened. And so I think the net of all of that is that I think both firms just really wanted to, wants the project to be successful. And, and I think to do that, this idea of collaboration and being complementary to each other was, was very, very important. Okay. Al, I know there's a couple more topics uh, that, that you compiled for us in preparation for this, and uh, and I'll I'll let you get to those. But um, I have one question I want to I want to make sure I ask. Bo, uh, probably the most surprising thing I have read in the past thirty days about golf was an account um, in a media trip to PGA Frisco uh, that mentioned that you were recently married, and congratulations on that. And that you also, um, uh, well, uh, paid someone to dress up as Sasquatch and appear outside the window. I'm really glad you asked this question because I yeah. had it on my list as well. Yeah. So, so. I, I, I want to have some explanation and confirmation. And then my part B is I've known you long enough. Okay. You've got a pretty great sense of humor. Just saying, can you get. I want to hear about Sasquatch, <laughs> but can an architect inject whether it's humor or his own personality into the golf course design itself? 
and I'll I'll kick back and listen to your answers. Sure. So I was very fortunate to get married uh, this past February to my longtime um, girlfriend and soulmate, Allison Fox. Um, and it was a wonderful, incredible ceremony that we had at the old Edwards Inn uh, up in, in Highlands, North Carolina. And uh, I do have a long running um, uh, relationship with Sasquatch. Um, and Allison had thrown me and a really good friend of mine named Matt Smith, um, actually the immediate past president of the Greenwood Country Club, uh, who also has a similar Sasquatch fascination. She had thrown us a Sasquatch birthday party because our birthdays are close together many moons ago. So hence a Sasquatch um, outfit, a, a costume uh, is in possession of us at this point. So in any event, uh, the Old Edwards Inn is chapel sort of tucked into the woods amongst the rhododendrons and, and uh, yep, uh, Sasquatch right, right as a ceremony, uh, started uh walked past the windows right behind the altar and uh, my sister uh literally screamed out loud uh, no one knew this was happening except me and sasquatch and uh my sister literally uh screamed um and it all caused quite a uh, kerfuffle if you will amongst our guests and then an incredible amount of laughter and uh and afterwards uh allison's father said uh Thank goodness that uh, that gorilla walked past the the, the window there because I, I was about to get bro you know, choked up and uh, instead it, it sort of set everybody at ease and um, Jamie Boyd, a longtime friend, was uh, was our officiant and it set him at ease. So it ended up I, I thought it would be a fun thing to do, but it actually ended up being uh, very impactful on the on the ceremony as well because it sort of it sort of lightened everything up and it was very much uh, um, consistent with. Uh, um, maybe Allison and I being uh, like to kind of do things a little bit differently from time to time. See, there's context. So, <laughs> so can you take what's in Bo's personality and put it into golf course design or are they always separate? Oh, I think it's hard to separate personality from, from anything. Uh, you know, I think you've heard me preach a lot about human stuff today. And I think we, that shows up in what we're trying to do golf design wise. But also I think, you know, we want to have fun too. And I mean, there, there are a couple of things we did at PJ Frisco that, you know, design wise that weren't on a, on a uh, uh, plan or anything. They just sort of evolved in the, the field that, you know, somewhat whimsy, if you will. And, um, and probably that's probably shown the most on the 17th hole, which is a, a shortish par five. And that um, as I, as I keep getting shorter and shorter, um, you know, I'd like to, for people like me to feel like they got a chance to maybe reach a par five and two. So we shaped in a large hill um, to the left side of the second landing area that, you know, if you actually played the ball away from the green, you can use this hill to, to sort of get down to the green. At the same time, we, we uh, shaped in a couple of very small pop buckers on each side of the green and off of those, uh, we call those the, like sort of like the devil's eyes. And so off of those, we've got little small contours projecting into the green that we refer to as the devil's horns. Um, and that was sort of a whimsy thing that I'm not even set up ever setting of this out loud. Um, but I, I feel like that kind of comes from personality of wanting to have fun and do things sort of, sort of differently. So I, I think it's hard to divorce personality from, from what you do, not just in golf courses on, but really from in anything. I was trying to remember there's a golf course logo with a, a Sasquatch holding the flag. 
Uh, I think I found it Skeen Valley Country Club in New York. If you're familiar, oh, fantastic. With that. <laughs> if anybody from Skeen Valley Country Club in New York is uh, is listening, I'd love to come see your place. I'm your guy because I <laughs> I like that. Um, well, speaking of contributing to the game and the human element, and um, something that uh, I know you're probably very proud to be doing. And in collaboration with with Gil and Tom Doak uh, is the work with the National Links Trust. Um, that's probably something that's a term that's been floated around that, you know, myself, I had to look more into really what was involved in going on with that. Um, you know, at a, a basic level, it's you're renovating three historic courses in uh, the District of Columbia and in, in Washington, D.C., um, and trying to uh, create some courses where uh, people can play for a, a reasonable rate, um, walk and find your ball and, and do so in a minimal amount of time. Um, that's, you know, my understanding of it at base level, but I'd love to hear um, from you just what is the National Links Trust and what does it mean to you? Sure. So Will Smith and Mike McCartan are behind the National Links Trust and, you know, both sort of natives of that area and, you know, had involvements with, with Tom Doak and Gill in the past. And, um, you know, these golf courses were owned by the National Park Service. And so they were part of a team or they bid on, you know, taking over the concession for that. And they both are very much, uh, you know, golf course architecture aficionados and uh, got Gill and Tom involved in, in helping with, you know, hoping to reestablish, renovate, um, you know, the historic of East Potomac and, and Rock Creek. Um, we're helping out at Langston, which is uh, on the uh, um, on the river, kind of kind of across the way from where RFK Stadium is, and was really sort of the home of of African American golf in our country, really. Um, and so we're super excited about the prospects of. Of, of sort of renovating that and, and providing something for the community that, that, that they deserve. And um, I can't be more excited about it. I, I you know, the passion that, that Will and Mike have is, is really infectious and um, really looking forward to, to helping out. And we've already started, you know, some stuff with clearing some invasive species up there, looking at some repositioning of how the driving range works. But, but ultimately the plan is to do a, you know, big significant project there. And uh, we're just very excited to be involved. I was actually born in the District of Columbia. Um, my father was at the Pentagon when I was born. So I was born in the old Walter Reed Army Hospital. Um, and as a as a uh, contrarian sort of kid, whenever I'd get asked to fill out a form and it would say, what state are you from? I would point out that I wasn't from a state, I was from a district. So, um, but in all, in all joking aside, like to be able to come back to, to DC and, and try to help out on these, these very meaningful projects is, uh, is something that I'm excited about. And I think they have bigger aspirations than just, just, uh, just DC. So I think they very much are trying to look at how can more municipal type golf, more accessible golf, you know, how can that be helped really around the, the country, you know, with, private public partnerships and you know, you're starting to see multiple other things, you know, attempt to sort of operate in that space, whether it be Tiger's efforts in, in Chicago or, you know, those efforts in Dallas and in Cleveland and in other places. So um, yeah, it's, it, it would be great if we can start to figure out how to, how to have more traditional golf be more accessible, um, 
you know, especially, especially these historic places, um, which is what the National Weeks Trust is really looking at. Very cool. Oh, okay. we, we, can't, uh, we can't let you go uh, without uh, bringing up the fact that if there is one sport even more cool than golf, it is curling. Uh, I think most Americans know that now. Um, so uh, for our listeners that aren't aware of the significant involvement you have with curling, tell us all about it. And are you concerned that this wild burst of popularity that you have as an architect is taking away from your curling time? Yeah, so curling is an ancient Scottish sport, just like golf, both invented about the same time. And I have a long, um, somewhat unexpected history in curling uh, in that I got fascinated watching on television at, uh, in the Olympics and ultimately got involved and served on the board of USA Curling for over a decade. And since 2018, I've been on the board of the World Curling Federation, which is the IOC partner for the delivery of curling in the Olympics. Uh, and four weeks ago, five weeks ago, I was elected to, I'm now the president of the World Curling Federation. Um, and so I'm super passionate about curling. I'm, I'm, I'm long Scottish sports. And just as I said, I think that if there are more golfers in the world, the world would be a better place. There's no doubt if there are more curlers in the world, the world would be a better place. And so we very much are going to try to go make that happen. Uh, and super excited about that. Uh, life has gotten a little busy, uh, for sure. Uh, but we've got a great team on the board at the World Curling Federation. I've got a great staff and uh, really excited about some, some initiatives that we're going to be bringing forward here shortly. Generally speaking, um, you know, with the IOC based in Switzerland and the World Curling Federation based in Scotland, uh, a lot of my curling involvement um, is sort of Euro time zone centric. So I'm pretty much waking up at 5 a.m. now and sort of working on curling from sort of five to eight or eight 30 before I transition into, into my other Scottish sport. But uh, I'm, I'm super excited about both. And, um, and it, it, it's amazing to this day. It's very obvious to me that golf and curling come out of the same sort of Scottish ether, if you will, like angles are very important to each. They both have weird terms and jargon. Um, they both have are value-based sports where integrity and honesty are, are core values in each sport. They both are camaraderie based. Um, and arguably like each one could be seen as being an excuse to, to maybe have a scotch or two. Um, but just really great people, great community of people. Whenever, whenever I have introduced golfers to curling, it's, it's, I'm always amazed at how fast they pick it up and how fast, fascinated they get, um, at our local club here in Greenville, the Palmetto Curling Club. We have a, a former Corn Ferry tour player that we introduced uh, several years ago. And, and he's, Matt's like, I, I, I can't believe I didn't do it. Why didn't I find this first? I should have found this instead of, instead of golf. So it's a really great play, great sport. And, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know, wherever you are, if you have ever a time to go get on the ice and meet some curlers, I would highly recommend you do that because it will be a rewarding experience for you. I had no idea the amount of similarities I mean, even to the Scottish origin, that, that was something I didn't know. Yeah. Um, I think, if you've, yeah. If you've never been to like Turnberry or Troon, if you look out to the, to the West, that big rock out in the sea is Ailsa Craig. And so all curling stones come from Ailsa Craig. So it's like one of the hardest surfaces on earth and they last stones last for forever. And 
Um, so it's a very sort of iconic thing uh, in, in our sport. So that's remarkable. You'll have to add that to your amenities uh, on your next project. Maybe PGA Frisco will have a curling club. I just said the same thing. It's exact same something that to a developer just last week. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I have uh, two more for you real quick. Um, okay. Uh, before the second one will be what what projects you have coming up the pipe but um i know you've mentioned a couple of times um at langston and, and frisco and you were involved in building the practice facilities um i i know that you uh on top of brown you're also an alum of the university of south carolina i have a buddy that works in the athletics office over there and actually got to go see the their practice facility that Ooh. you built the husky dietrich um, practice facility and it's incredibly impressive and um, a really really good recruiting tool for them now what's different about building practice facilities for you uh, and how how does it I guess differ in your approach from an actual golf course yeah I mean so the kind of right range you know there's a huge gamut of what practice facilities are and, and what they're like you know so if you go look at PJ Frisco we got you know 270 degrees of hitting, trying to accommodate multiple different uh, demographics on sort of each of the three sides of the range. Um, you go look at your more traditional, you know, private club range, you know, it needs to have a certain capacity, et cetera. If you go look at what we've been doing in the NCAA space, you can start to do all kinds of different things because it's limited usage, you know, with, with good players. And so some of your safety concerns and corridors are very, very different. Um, but again, not to keep saying the same thing, I, you know, I think the range becomes uh, a great place for people to go do something on their own pace, in their own time. It's not intimidating, but at the same time, you can meet people and there can be these human moments that happen. And, and so a lot of our private club work where we're doing uh, renovation type work, there's a lot of reimagining of practice facilities um, to include more performance-based buildings, as well as food and beverage and, and, and human activation spaces, you know, fire pits and chairs and, um, you know, bars and, you know, things like this. And so all that's sort of really exciting. Um, and again, we kind of come into everyone with a, you know, sort of different mentality. I mean, not no preconceived notion about what anything could be, but, but, but people are much more open to doing things very differently than just the sort of traditional, like here's a, a driving range and here's some, here, you know, here's a tee and here's some targets, you know, kind of thing out in the big field. Um, you know, the, the one at South Carolina, we've tried to provide the team with, you know, multiple different ways to practice the game of golf. So almost like deconstructing the game of golf um, and allow them to go, you know, you know, their, their traditional driving, their simulated holes, there are you know, drill areas, um, short game areas, putting areas. Um, so it, that's, that's a pretty nifty one of like what all we were able to accomplish on a, you know, 20 acres of space. It's, it's almost like you could go practice the entirety of, of 18 holes of golf out there. Um, so that, that's pretty cool. So, um, but excited about work we're about to do at Atlanta country club, Peninsula club in Charlotte. Um, we're, we're, we're driving range rebuilding and activating is a big part of a part of those, those efforts. Those two being a couple you're working on, um, is there anything else of note that you yeah, got? Yeah, I was just down at Ocean Forest in Sea Island, Georgia, so we're about to do a renovation there. I was there last week uh, presenting to, to members uh, about to do a renovation there. And then on the new golf side, we've got uh, you know projects outside of Austin, Texas, new Greenfield Golf, um, 
we're going to do a project in the highlands of Scotland, uh, new 18 holes of golf. Um, got a short course that we're going to do on Captiva Island, which just got devastated by the hurricane, but um, it's, we're actually going to change the plan around given some of the redevelopment efforts of the island. And I really thought we wouldn't be dealing with that for a while, but uh, it's being brought forward um, as part of a master, uh, you know, project as it relates to the whole island. Um, so that's pretty exciting. So we feel like lots going on. So it's all good. Yeah. The Highlands of Scotland all of a sudden is turning into this kind of hot destination with yeah, it's really cool. going there and yeah. what's already there in place. So yeah. yeah. It's gonna Very be cool. cool. Joe, anything else from your end? No, I'm uh I had my laughs. I learned a lot today. Uh I'm I'm very satisfied with what we accomplished. <laughs> very good, Joe. It's always good to see you, my friend. Indeed, Bo. Yep. Thank and you Al, very well, much. Nice to yeah. meet you. Al just Al just got married too. And I, you know, too bad I didn't meet him before because I could have lent him a Sasquatch outfit, but uh, <laughs> uh maybe maybe for your anniversary, Al. Well, I'm keeping my eyes peeled for the real thing. All right. Me too. All right. I believe. <laughs> I believe. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. We believe on the Lynx Golf Podcast. Thank you so much, Bo. We appreciate right. it. Take care. See you you too. Bye now. Bye.